This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Right. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Jesse Dollamore, your host, sitting across from me on this Christmas Eve slash Christmas Day episode 84 is my lovely co-host in the holiday spirit, Brittany Page. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's- Sleigh bells. <laughs> They're ringing. <laughs> Does that get you in the mood? No. The well, what kind of mood? mood? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> well, you've got your glass of wine there. I thought you'd be jovial and spirited. Mm-hmm. No? Well, we've kind of talked about it before that in Southern California, it doesn't really feel like Christmas when you are not from Southern California. Because of the weather. Right. It was a high of 81 yesterday, and, you know, that just feels weird. I remember... Watching as a young man, like the Die Hard series, and that that series always takes place around Christmas, or it did in the in the in the earlier episode in the earlier um, installments of the series, right? And John McClane in the very first one, it's Christmas Day when he's out there jingle belling it around, and I I remember as a kid thinking, man, that just wouldn't seem like Christmas because there's no snow on the ground, but there's Christmas lights, and here I am. Living in the Los Angeles, the greater Los Angeles area, not really great, but uh, and it, it, I don't feel the Christmas thing because it's not cold, nor is there snow, but there's still Christmas lights everywhere. It's weird, right? It's definitely not cold. No, and there are Christmas lights everywhere, and it is weird to drive around and see Christmas lights, but it just doesn't feel like Christmas. Well, what's weird is they still sell the Christmas lights that like dangle down from the the like, like snow icicle lights. Yeah, the, the icicle lights. They yeah. still sell those, and people still put those up. Mm-hmm. But there's no snow. Right. There's no threat of snow. Mm-hmm. There's no chance of snow. Yeah. I mean, there's no chance of rain. <laughs> Yes. There's certainly not a chance of snow. Yes. So that's, uh, I wouldn't say depressing, but it's it's certainly not getting me in the Christmas spirit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy. I'm just, it doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't feel like Christmas. I'm not ready to off myself. Okay, good. Yeah, but that's, that could be good or bad, depending on who you are, I guess. Depending on who you are. I mean, whether I off myself. No, I I'm know sure what you meant. there's lots of people... I bet you there's listeners to the show that think to themselves on a weekly basis, uh, when is this guy just going to get it done already? No, <laughs> no, no, no. So, for this more casual Christmas episode... Huh? Should I keep that up? Yeah. Probably Because people are going to forget that it's the Christmas episode, <laughs> so you want to keep reminding them I with should, the sleigh bells. I should have just put that on a timer. So, on this Christmas episode, we kind of wanted to... Just have it be a little bit more casual, but also talk about maybe some childhood memories uh, from Christmas because I grew up in a conservative Christian household where Christmas was, you know, it was, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season Mm -hmm. when I grew up. And but also 
the more culturally celebrated aspects of the holiday. Like, for instance, I guess I'll just get into it. Um, I grew up in a family where we didn't open our presents on Christmas morning. We were a Christmas Eve family. Mm, that's odd. Well, I, I don't know that it's that odd. I, At least in my head growing up, I thought that there were just there were Christmas morning families and there were Christmas Eve evening families who did the present thing. Had you not heard of Christmas Eve families? No, not at all. So maybe we were just weirdos. Well, because in my family, we opened one present on Christmas Eve, and then right. it was typically pajamas or socks. Well, one one year, because we badgered and pestered my parents so much, we it was the day before Christmas Eve, so Christmas Eve Eve, and we went to my parents and, you know, Hey, please, you know, begging, begging, please let us open a present. Please let us open a present. Like kids do. And they relented. Okay, you can open a present. But just one. So we we picked a present. We opened it. And then, of course, as kids do, (laughs) again, please, one more, one more, one more. Well, before you knew it, all the presents were opened. And it was Christmas Eve Eve. What a bunch of greedy little buggers. No discipline. No. Undisciplined little turds. Yes. Yeah. So that that happened. <laughs> well, did you get good stuff? I, I don't remember. I, mm. I do remember having the thought as a kid, because this probably would have been fifth or sixth grade. Right. We lived in Missouri at the time. Fun. Uh, no. No. Very Christmas-like there during R- Christmas time. Yeah. Very bleak and dreary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do remember on Christmas Day thinking, ah, how great would it be if we were opening <laughs> presents right now? Or, you know, on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I remembered we were playing with our presents, but the excitement and the, the payoff isn't really getting the gift. It's opening the gift and that, that rush that you get. Right. So you didn't have Santa bringing the gifts because they were already there. No, I don't ever remember really believing in santa Mm, as a kid interesting yeah i don't know i didn't uh i i played along a little bit but both my i mean there's 12 years difference between my youngest brother and me Mm -hmm. so we didn't when we were kids believing in christmas he wasn't alive but when with my middle brother the closest to me i don't remember us ever really buying into the santa thing right I don't know. I just didn't. My mom kind of did it a little bit. She never told us there was no Santa, but I I guess I just didn't buy it. But Jesus, good to go. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hook, line, and sinker Mm -hmm. with the (laughs) J-Man. See, I think I was the opposite. Yeah, Yeah, I was really gung-ho for Santa, but then Jesus was kind of... A little flake-tastic on the Jesus, huh? Yeah, I mean... But you were. You were a a Santa convert you were you were you bought it oh yeah well i was totally brainwashed into believing he was real you were head over heels for the santa myth yes because my dad would dress up as santa and my mom would wake us up in the middle of the night to come down the stairs and peek around the corner and my dad would be ho 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 um in front of the fireplace and (laughs) he would be filling the stockings and i would just be sitting there like still sleepy and delirious like oh my god this is amazing and like your dad had the full-on like costume quality movie quality costume for santa claus right right with a beard 
the whole thing. Yeah. The hat, everything. <laughs> so it was it was it was real, but then that made it all the more terrible when I found out it was a giant lie, which I eventually did. Well, tell that story. I, you've told it, I think, before on the show, but tell it again because there's something kind of sad, but also very weird about about the story. And I, I'll get to it after you regale the audience of of your the misery that 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 happened. Yeah. So he kept it in the garage, and we had a little setup in the garage. It was like his area with a couch back there, and and he could hang out. And I was jumping on the couch. And I leaned over behind it at one point and I, I saw a trash bag with a red and white suit hanging out of it. And, you know, my stomach kind of sank and I, I was about to have a tum time. You start <laughs> tum time. Uh, that means diarrhea. That's code for <laughs> diarrhea. Um, that doesn't happen. But yeah, what uh, now walk me through it. So you that you started putting two and two together like immediately. Yeah, because I'm thinking, well, what the hell is this doing here? <laughs> Still with that judgmental kind of tone yes. to your thoughts. That's well, yes, good. personality was reformed early on, and <laughs> mine was solidified quite yeah, early. It was concrete. And so I picked it up out of the bag, and, you know, like between my thumb and my forefinger, mm -hmm. judgmentally looking at it, like, right. what is going on here? And my dad's in the garage, and so I, I'm holding it up, and I look at him, and I'm like what is this? Like getting ready to cry. And he's like, yeah, I'm Santa. Just like very dismissive. Yeah. It was not like he didn't even address it at all. Just, yeah, I'm Santa. It's not real. It's not a real thing. You know, what's uh, weird about this to me, and this is what's mo most weird because kids believe in Santa. Their parents lie to them. And you know, that's just the way it is. What's weird to me about this is they, they spent so much energy, so much effort, so much time into proliferating this this lie this myth mm -hmm. this fantasy for you right and then once you find out there's zero energy trying to lie his way out of it and they're like oh you know it's just my it's a santa costume no the real santa he, he didn't do any of that he's like yeah fuck you it's not real yeah that's exactly <laughs> what happened it was quite tragic i was very upset that's why I'm a little, uh, when I hear stories about parents lying to their kids about Santa, I'm a little, uh, about it. Just because I remember being very... I think it's weird. I felt betrayed by it. Yeah. And I was embarrassed as well that I had believed it. Because then I'm like, well, of course that's not... <laughs> yeah, of course. I knew that. Right. You know, right. but... <laughs> So it was kind of embarrassing going through yeah. the process of... Well, don't tell us you were 16 when you found out. How old were you when you when you finally found out? Uh, this was last year. Brittany, come on. When was it? I think I was probably like eight, seven or eight, probably around there. Okay. That's... So that's not too bad. No, I mean, that's... It's a little... No, I think that's probably on the late side of average, but still average. I mean, I have a terrible memory, so it could be earlier than that. I'm just trying to guess. What grade would I have been in by that time? Seventh, eighth, uh, second, third grade. Okay, it was probably like second grade or okay. earlier. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, well what, are, what are you going to do? Yeah, but I mean, that wasn't the only tradition we had. We always got a Christmas tree as well, and it was always fun to decorate that. Right. And my mom would always play uh, Christmas Elvis music. And you appreciate that because Elvis is your favorite. Uh, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> so that was like the Christmas soundtrack in my house. And then we would and always... And they wonder why Christmas time makes people depressed. I mean, 
Goddamn. That, that is terrible. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's ter- No, it's terrible. Okay. It, the answer is it's terrible. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yes. And so we would open our Christmas presents on Christmas Day. And then as soon as we were done opening our Christmas presents, my mom would literally take down the decorations immediately off the tree on christmas day yes and then throw the christmas tree just right outside into the yard just toss it right out pick it up and toss it it. launch it like a hobo getting 86 from a bar yes just out the door yes (laughs) yes exactly and it would just kind of sit there she'd immediately start cleaning it up and she's a little you know has some neurotic bits to her so (laughs) she wanted to get it out of the house wow and at one point my parents thought it would be a good idea to light the tree on fire in the backyard. Well, you did live in one of those white trash-esque household. Yeah, I sure did. And (laughs) it was not good, and mostly because... You mean open flame in a residential neighborhood is not a good idea? Yeah, it was not. And it was mostly because our fence was painted with used motor oil. Oh, my God. Are you sure you didn't grow up in in, in Tennessee or (laughs) Mississippi or the Appalachian uh, area of West Virginia? Uh, no. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, we could have been from there, but... Suburban Boise, Idaho, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Our neighbors were huge fans. Oh, I'm sure. Huge they loved fans. you. Yeah. yeah. So that was a close call. But we survived, and, and Christmas was okay. You know, it's... Even being an adult and having been an atheist for, for many, many years, I didn't get this question this year, which is strange, but usually there is some talk amongst the friends that I have... And people who casually know me and know us that being atheists that well, do you celebrate Christmas? What you know, what involvement do you have with the holiday? Because it is it is a religious holiday, but it also has cultural reach. Right. Probably more cultural reach than it does religious reach at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mind celebrating Christmas. I don't really celebrate it like we don't have a tree. Much to Brittany's chagrin. Mm-hmm. I love Christmas trees. Real ones. Yeah, well, I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> but the other thing is, Lazy of course, we're not going to church. So all no. of the religious observation just is not there. But right. why would I turn down an opportunity to hang out with friends and family and loved ones with good food and great drink and awesome fellowship between loved ones? That's that's a special time. Right. So whether it's, you know, we're celebrating Archie Bunker's birthday or the mythical Jesus Christ, I'm there for sure. That's a great time. Yeah. But also, this whole war on Christmas thing that has come around, it bothers me, one, for because Christians, they want their holiday and they want it to be religious and they really want it for themselves, but then they don't even follow the Bible, their own Bible about the different traditions. First of all, it's... In 2008, scientists, they kind of backtracked, and they came to the conclusion that Jesus was probably born not on December 21st, or I'm sorry, December 25th, but more likely on June 17th. I've also heard possibly March. Right. I mean, well, there's other months, but they have definitively ruled out December. Right. Not the case. But these scientists... They tracked back because if there was that star in the sky through astronomy, they tracked back and 
and, fa- and found that that probably was that date because of that particular star in the sky. Right. So That's really interesting. But the other thing is, there's a scripture in the Bible, because one thing about Christmas is the tree. And it's odd, because there's a scripture in the Bible, Jeremiah 10, verses 2 through 4, and I'm going to read from the Bible here, folks. It says, uh, verse 2, Thus saith the Lord. Don't they always start like that? Mm -hmm. Thus saith the Lord. It has to be very authoritative. (laughs) Very. This is, they're not, this isn't a suggestion. This is, hey, I'm saying this, so it's fucking, it's the real deal. It's on. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it shall move not. Uh oh. Doesn't that sound like about Christmas time? You go into the woods, you get your tree. You cut it down, you put it in your house, you na- you affix it with nails to your little base so it doesn't move, and then you adorn it with silver and gold, you know, tinsel and all the lights, and it's in the goddamn Bible not to do that, and what is the chief practice of Christmas? Well... So all I'm saying is, so hang on, all I'm saying is... If you if you don't want me to take part in your holiday, then you should show a little respect for the religious nature of your holiday. Otherwise, all you're doing is is rapidly shifting it into strictly a cultural holiday, which it is. And I'm you know what? I'm going to celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that you should. And let's partake in the Christmas spirit. I do. And and I have good news for everybody. For those of you who are concerned about the war on Christmas... I'm super concerned. Well, it's Chief General. The general in charge of all of the battles and the war is, uh, you know, none other than Bill, Bill O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. And he was recently on Seth Meyers' show, and this exchange took place relative to the aforementioned war on Christmas. Uh, you talk spent. about uh, the war on Christmas. You're yeah. sort of the Paul Revere for the war on Christmas. We won the war on you Christmas. You won, so it's we official. Won. Christmas right. is fine. And this made is it. true. This is the only year. I've been doing this for about 10 years. The only year we have not had a store that commanded its employees not to say Merry Christmas. It's over. We won. Congratulations. Anybody can say Merry Christmas if they want to. They don't have to. Yeah. I'm not like scowling. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing like that. But- but I'm very happy. Thank you. Yes, congratulations. But you got to be careful now. Why? Because uh, Patton won too, and then and the car killed. thing happens. Right. So you just be watch out. That's, that's true. I might yeah. have just fulfilled my obligation on Earth. <laughs> right. And this could be my last appearance. Just anywhere. keep your head on a swivel. Congratulations right. on winning the war on Christmas, and thank you so much All for right, being here. Thank you. Kelly Patton inserts now the O'Reilly Factor. What's interesting about that is apparently. The war on Christmas, all it meant was stores instructed their their employees to say happy holidays to encompass all of the different holidays that happen around this time of the year. Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year, Hanukkah. There's a lot of holidays that are going on. 
Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Chris Ma, what it, I never can say it. Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not into that. Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Yeah. Okay. Well, one Kwanzaa is made up. Kwanzaa is a made up holiday that a professor at Berkeley created. I have never heard that before. That is fact. Okay. Look it up. I'm concerned that you are a filthy liar. <laughs> on Christmas. Well, well, it's Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. Well, this is the day that presents should be opened. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So, so Bill O'Reilly has just declared that war on Christmas has been won. Okay, so, so we never have to hear from him that's, again. You're, you better be right, because next year, when he opens his flap trap, <laughs> and words are falling out at a breakneck pace about the war on Christmas, I want to revisit this. Because I, that means he is a dirty, filthy liar. I love Flaptrap. You like Flaptrap? Yeah. I think I just made that up. I think that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. All right, well. Flaptrap. Flaptrap. We still don't have a transition between segments for Pew Research. And you know what I'm thinking we should do? This is the cue that we're gonna, getting ready to talk about Pew, Pew Research. But I'm thinking about how, having something with like... Guns firing and like a sound effect where people are going pew, pew, pew. I, I don't know. That's just in my head. Wow. It's pretty terrible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm not a fan of that at all. Well, that, no- is, that is no flap drop. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. No one has stepped up to offer a a segment stinger, a segment drop mm-hmm. for for the Pew Research stuff. So yeah. well, what's going on? Our audience is lacking in motivation and lacking in doing free work for the show. Please take note, a whole of today, creator guy. We yeah. we need some creativity here. And Michael. Yes. Well, it, listen, I know we have creative people who listen to the show. I know we have creative podcast producers and and, and, and creative types, because I'm not a cr- creative type. I'm just an idiot who runs his mouth. I, I need assistance in this in this way. I'm not creative either, so it's really unfortunate. This this ship is sinking. No, no. Real quick. You did pass stats. I did. That we need to talk about that. Yeah. So that's good. And that's probably the only thing I'm good at. I totally derailed the Pew segment, the Pew Research. Pew 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 <laughs> Research segment. But Brittany did did great in stats. In grad school, you have to if you get a C, you fail. You have to get a B to pass on. So yeah. she was very nervous about statistics, advanced stats, because she is virtually mentally disabled relative to mathematics. Well, I have, I I likely have what's in the DSM as dyscalculia. No, you don't. Which is just an inability to understand numbers and arithmetic. The only inability relative to mathematics with you is the fact that you were a slacker in high school and didn't get the foundation. That's that's your inability. Yeah. Yeah, and I pay for it now. I'll tell you that. I pay for it hard now. So anyway, that being what it is, she's passed. Her first semester of grad school has been a resounding success. And we're going to move on to the pew pew. So nine in 10 Americans say they celebrate Christmas. They celebrate it, huh? (laughs) I was hoping that it would just sound like (laughs) celebrate to everybody. (laughs) It's almost like masturbate. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm enjoying... Is that a celebratory masturbation (laughs) session? Celebate? No, no. So they nine in ten Americans say they celebrate (laughs) Christmas. And three quarters say they believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Wow. 
But only about half see Christmas mostly as a religious holiday. So 51% of those surveyed said that for them personally, Christmas is more of a religious holiday. For 32%, they say that Christmas is personally more of a cultural holiday. So kind of what you were talking about. 32% Mm -hmm. is a decent percentage. It's still a majority for people to see it as a religious holiday, but I'm sure we'll see that cultural percentage grow as time goes on. Sure. So then they also surveyed the way that Americans celebrate Christmas and how they did it as a child compared to if they plan on doing the activity now. So the most common thing that people said they did to celebrate Christmas in their childhood was to put up a Christmas tree. Right. 92%. Jeremiah chapter 10 was not abided by in that household. And only 79% say they plan to do that now. So there's a big decrease in people putting up Christmas trees, hmm. maybe because they they picked up that little note from you. Uh, it, and also, they're a pain in the ass. Anyway, they smell great. They don't have to light them aflame in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone else knows anyone that did that, please let me know so I can feel better about myself. <laughs> um, the second. Why most... is it I think we're not going to get a call on it? <laughs> the second most likely thing for people to celebrate Christmas in their childhood was to attend a gathering with extended family or friends on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Hmm. And 91% of people said they did that in their childhood, and 86% said they would do that now. Like I said, that's that's a great thing. Yes, that why, is the why, reason. Why forego time with loved ones? That's That's a beautiful thing. Right. Then the third highest is buy gifts for friends and family. Of course, this is one of the most prominent activities that occurs on Christmas Day. 89% said they did that in their childhood. 86% said they plan to do it now. Hmm. So religion is less central to young people's observance of Christmas, of course, because there are more millennials that are agnostic, atheist, humanist, secular. Irreligious. Yes. Unaffiliated. Right. So... From ages 18 to 29, 66% said they believe in the virgin birth, which is still high. Astronomically high. Um, That's weird to me. So 46% said they plan to attend Christmas religious services. Mm -hmm. And 39% say they celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday. So. Getting better. Yeah, that 66% with the virgin birth, I'm confused. But only 46 are going to go to church on Christmas, but 66 believe in the virgin birth? Yeah, who knows? I think people just say that. But as kind of a, as a, as a just-in-case, they don't want to get caught. Well, what happens is, you know, denying Christ is a big deal. The, the first time I denied Christ, mm-hmm. I remember exactly where I was, the moment, and talking on the phone and the person to whom I was speaking, uh, well, it freaked them out. They were, Oh no, no, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not there yet. We were both on our journey toward atheism together. In the moment that I declared, I no longer believe right. in the divinity of Christ. It, it was a big deal. They were like, oh, I'm going to distance myself from this yeah, right now. Right. Luckily we were on the phone. Otherwise they would have stepped away for, Fear of a lightning strike. Did their phone just like incinerate? <laughs> no, no, no. So, Be- so the reason I say that is because when I was going to church, I would, I would ask my mom, like, 
you know, do people really believe in this stuff? Like they believe that it literally happened. And she would be like, no, no, no one believes that. But we just we kind of go along with it. And, right. and so that was what I thought. I'm like, well, people just say that and they kind of go along with it. Because, you know, being a Christian is just about being a good person. So you just say what you need to say. Didn't, didn't she also tell you that she, that even your pastor at church didn't really buy into it? He was just going along with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> that kind of made me feel better. Well, she might not be far off the mark in some cases. I think there are probably a lot of pastors, as evidenced by our talk with Ryan Bell on this show. Right. That... There are probably a large percentage that are going through that struggle. Right. You know? Yeah. I just wish more people would be honest about it. Because what led me away from the church is actually reading the Bible. And who knows the Bible better, or who should know the Bible better... Than pastors. Than pastors. Right. So Christmas and the holidays, Pew Research asked, what do you most look forward to? 69% said time with family and friends. 11% said religious reflection or church. 7% said people are happy and joyful. And then they asked, what did they like the least? 33% said commercialism and materialism. Right. Well, if you're you're looking at it from a religious standpoint, that... That should be the answer. Hell yeah, that should be the answer. Especially on Jesus' birthday. Right. If it really is a celebration of his birth, a guy who was pretty socialist, pretty liberal... You know, a dirty hippie in the minds of the, the, the conservative hierarchy at the time, the, the, the religious hierarchy at the time. Right. It's, he was against that shit. Yeah. And 22% said they like least about it that it's, you know, the money, too expensive, spending too much money. And then 10% say it's the shopping, the crowds, the crowded stores. I would agree with that. The, uh, it, traffic. <laughs> the It's supposed to be this, you know humanity coming together and the spirit of goodwill and it's just one asshole after another rushing to get wherever they need to go in a, in the most inconsiderate manner that they can find right and cutting everybody off <laughs> right. so among the religious un- unaffiliated 87 percent said they celebrate christmas so you are not yeah, alone i am not alone and inc- that includes 68 percent who view christmas as more of a cultural holiday right so well, I think it's both. I wouldn't. I, I'm not going to label it one or the other. I think it's becoming more cultural, but it's certainly a religious holiday, you know. So let's move on. Let's move on from the Christmas. I should have faded in. I guess we're fading out, so it's still kind of. Bye, Christmas uh, bells. See you later, Christmas part of the show. Sleigh bells. <laughs> so let's talk Hollywood a little bit, and not the Sony thing for once since actually we only talked about that one time. Angelina Jolie and her her production company with Brad Pitt, they have a movie coming out that she directed. Yes. Called Unbroken mm-hmm. about Louis Zamperini. Right. And he is a former Olympian and uh, was a prisoner of war during World War II. Anyway, he was tortured or beat the hell up and mistreated in, in, a, in a camp, mm-hmm. in a prisoner of war camp. And he has a very remarkable story. Right. Sure. And anyway, she had, I guess, a rule. Well, one, the movie, there's no cursing in the movie. Well, apparently it, it's a movie with a very um, spiritual message. When right. we when we first saw trailers for this, I thought that it was like a God is not dead. I mean, it could have been 
except for production value, it could have been a Kirk Cameron joint. You know what I mean? It's very Jesus-y. Well, his story is very, I mean, he comes to God and he, you know, when he comes back from being tortured in the prisoner of war camp, he has a lot of issues, you know, Mm -hmm. PTSD, and and he comes to God to help him sort through forgiveness and and overcoming his obstacles. And so it has a lot to do with that. So when when asked in an interview about the, the lack of cursing or whatever in the movie, this was her answer. Well, Angelina Jolie apparently instituted a no cursing rule for the actors of Unbroken. And I don't know if that means on set the whole time or if that just means during the movie. Hmm. But this was her answer. She said, one of the things that was very beautiful about the men of that generation is that they were very straightforward. They were responsible young men who'd come through the depression, who were fighting for their country and who took pride in the way they held themselves and the way they spoke. It seemed too easy for us to have a film that leaned too heavily on modern aspects of manhood. We wanted to see the classic young man and celebrate the beauty and nobility of it. Their language was a big part of that. The actors had to find other ways of expressing themselves. So we had a whole list of things to say when you want to say a bad word. A lot of shucks and oh boys. It brought out a different side of the actors, their own self-respect and their respect for the generation before them. They pushed themselves in a different way. That might be the most bullshit public relations propaganda answer I've ever heard. Well, in the interview, the interviewer even brought up Fury, which was another World War II movie that just came out starring her husband, Brad Pitt. Starring Brad Pitt, right. And that movie in no way has a no cursing rule. Right. And it was very realistic and you felt it. Listen, World War II was one of the most violent terrible wars that has ever been conducted that it's ever any generation of men has ever gone through that's why they call them the greatest generation because they faced the greatest evil known to man known to the to the world and they defeated it both the japanese and hitler and fascism mussolini those the terrible powers that were at that at that day it, they weren't, uh, oh, golly gee whiz, miss. Shucks. Yeah, that's not, that is not, I can guarantee you, that is not the way things were. Right. Well, it just, that doesn't even make sense. It's a weird Pollyanna, like rewriting history kind of an answer. What she should have said was, well, you know, we wanted a positive movie, and we, this is this is our interpretation of that. Rather than just a, a, a bald-faced lie. Well, you know, soldiers and marines and sailors, they didn't cuss back then. They were pure of heart. That's that's insanity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were having to do terrible things, witness terrible things. Yeah. They were in terrible environments. And a lot of the, you know, she said this statement about modern aspects of manhood she didn't want a film that leaned too heavily on modern aspects of manhood. Right. And that's not a modern aspect of manhood. Those men were men and they had to be right. these strong, bold, tough characters in order to be in those situations. Right. So she believes that sometime between like the characters that are in Deadwood. <laughs> right. <laughs> who 
certainly are creative in the manner with which they curse. <laughs> Sometime between then and World War II, men decided they were, oh, I'm far more genteel than that. I don't have to use language. The salty language, it's not for me. Oh, that rascally wabbit, Hitler, that, oh, what a scamp. Right. Yeah, no, he was a dirty fucker and they said it. Well, and even this this man, Zamperini, he was tortured. Right. He was tortured terribly by these people. And you think while he's, you know, taking these these hits and, and being tortured that he's screaming out, oh, shucks, oh, golly gee whiz, don't right. do that. Right. No. I mean, recent studies have found that cursing helps alleviate pain. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's not a new revelation. I'm sure that that's been how well, it is a long time. We didn't invent cussing after World War II. I mean, right. it's, just a we- it's just a weird answer. It's it's just bizarre. Yeah, it is. So let's stick with movie news. News. Uh, Rush Limbaugh apparently has a problem. Sony Pictures is getting ready to... Well, Daniel Craig, who plays uh, James Bond now in the movies, his contract for James Bond is getting ready to end. And they are kind of searching and putting their feelers out for who's going to be the next James Bond. And Idris Elba is on the short list, I guess. If you don't know who Idris Elba is, he has been in some Guy Ritchie movies. He... He had like a four episode arc on The Office in like season five. Where he replaced Jan. He, he replaced Jan, that's right. And then when Michael founded the Michael Spot, Scott paper company, mm-hmm. he ran The Office for a little bit. But He's a very handsome, tall black man. Yeah, he's a black guy. And he's British. Yes. Despite the fact that he does a solid American accent. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, they're considering him and Rush Limbaugh apparently has issue with it. Yes. One of the emails that leaked in the hack of Sony, Amy Pascal, the co-chairman of Sony Pictures, in in an email thread back and forth, I forget who it was, she suggested that when Daniel Craig's run as James Bond is over, and this is it, this is contractually his last film, she suggested a new James Bond. And I'm not sure how you pronounce the guy's name. Idris Elba is what it looks like on paper. Idris Elba, uh, who is, well, I can't say African-American. He's, he's British. African-English, right? African-Brit. He's, uh, he's black. He's from Great Britain. He, uh, he has played. He was on The Wire. That's right. He was on The Wire, too. And, and he was in a, a British cop drama procedural called Luther. Did you watch Luther? What Luther on Netflix? Sam. I have I have it. I just I didn't watch it. Okay, here's here's the thing though. Uh, James Bond is a fictional character obviously. James James Bond was invented and created by Ian Fleming, a former spy, MI6. And James Bond Is a is a total concept put together by Ian Fleming. He was white and Scottish. Period. That is who James Bond is. Was. 
But now Sony is suggesting that uh, the next James Bond should be Idris Elba, a black Briton rather than a white from Scotland. But that's not who James Bond is. And I know it's racist to probably even point this out. But the franchise needs to get with it, right? The franchise needs to get hip. The franchise needs to get with the 21st century. Well, that's right. We have 50 years of white Bonds because Bond is white. Bond was never black. Ian Fleming never created a black Brit to play James Bond. The character was always white. He was always Scottish. He always drank vodka. And, and shaken, not stirred. And, and all that. Am I wrong, or is Rush Limbaugh the most okay, so boring turd on the we're planet? We're not supposed to have a problem with this. He's so boring, it I mean, hurts. The movies, come on. We've had 50 years uh, of white James Bonds. We let's need turn it to off. spread it out. He we gets to a to point be, here that I want to get to. We need to be fair about It's so boring. Okay, fine. Let's play a little game. Here's the game I want to... Let's listen to this. Jay-Z's favorite... How would I know what Jay-Z's Who's he talking to? Why does the other person not come on mic? Ah, <laughs> uh, what would that be? Crystal? Yeah. Well, he uh, sounds like his death is imminent. In the movie, we know we're going to get one. Here we go. How about in the movie about the Obamas? There's going to be one. How about George Clooney play Obama and Kate Hudson play Michelle Mybell Obama? How's that? How would that do? Those are real people. I mean, if we're if we're going to do this, let's let's imagine it. Nelson Mandela movie. Another, you know, there's going to be an. an Idris Elba played Nelson Mandela, and Nelson Mandela was black. But the movies can do whatever. Kelsey Grammer as Nelson Mandela. Okay, I couldn't. I know Brittany acted like she passed out. Listen, here's the deal: James Bond is a fictional character. I know he said that, but apparently he doesn't realize that. And then all the characters he named subsequently are real people. Right. So you can't have a white man play. Obama, because Obama is a real person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have someone play me in a movie, you can't have George, you can't have Jason Alexander play Jesse Dollamore. <laughs> because I'm six foot three, 270 pounds, and Jason Alexander is five foot six, 170 pounds, or whatever. I mean, he's a little tiny bald guy. I'm a tall, red-headed, big guy. Well, I was going to say, I mean, what's more realistic, having Idris Elba play James Bond or Rush Limbaugh play James Bond? Right. I think that I would rather see Idris Elba, this tall, strong, handsome black man. A British guy. Than Rush Limbaugh, who's going to keel over at any moment <laughs> and that I don't even want to hear speak for more than two minutes. It is unbearable. I don't know how people listen to that for hours a day. He is... It was putting me to sleep. It was making me tired. He is a legendary broadcaster in radio. Mm -hmm. Him and Howard Stern, it's a one-two punch relative to their success levels and what they've done in the business. And he's either slipping or, I don't know, it, it's unbearable. Anyway, so, so that's the point. I mean, James West, The Wild Wild West, that movie, that was a TV show for many years. And then Will Smith played James West in a movie. Mm -hmm. A black man played a white, traditionally white character. Mm -hmm. Annie, you brought that up today. The movie Annie 
is the, it's a reboot or whatever with Jamie Foxx. It looks terrible, mm-hmm. but it's a little black girl who plays Annie. Right. Annie is traditionally a little white, redheaded, curly-haired girl. Right. Who cares? Is a fictional character. Yeah, I don't understand how this is even controversial at all. Well, he's like Sony Pictures needs to get with the program. Um, well, first of all, I have never seen a James Bond movie, not one in my no. entire life. So maybe I, I don't have the right to comment on this, but I just don't see how it would be a problem. Isn't he just supposed to be super handsome and attractive and like awesome? Total womanizing spy. Yeah, that's his thing. Yeah. So Idris Elba seems perfect. They, Go for it. They really uh, listen. The, the James Bond and we're not a nerd slash movie show here so i'm not going to get into too much detail but james bond has been kind of milk toast until daniel craig came along and really made him gritty i mean pretty good hmm. so they're gonna have to step it if they're gonna keep it on par with what they've done up, up to this point with daniel craig they're gonna have to get someone who's gritty and masculine and a badass because the daniel craig James Bond is a badass. Is he as good as Liam Neeson in Taken? <laughs> <laughs> he, I'm just kidding, he everyone. Does, he does have a particular set of skills. <laughs> he does. So uh, anyway, so... And Taken number three is coming out, everybody. Uh, you're welcome. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> so... Brittany brought this to my attention the other day, and I don't know why I haven't learned about this phone number up until now, but there is a hotline. There is this hotline. It's a phone number, and I guess it could be battle depression. If you're ever feeling down and you want to you want to make yourself feel better, right? we have a number for you, and we want to tell you what it is and have you call it. And we're going we're gonna to call it right now on the show. Right. I've actually... I was so eager about this that I've my iPhone is plugged right into the board right now. We're just going to do this. There's other uses for it, too. If you don't want to give someone your phone number at a bar, you can give them this number. And I'm oh, sure yeah. that they will not feel let down by it. They'll feel happy still. I have a number in my phone that's a fake phone number that tells you on the message, yeah, you just got you just got effed with because this isn't their number kind of a thing. Well, I think this is better than that. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just uh I'll just call the number, and I'll tell you what it is. It's 719-266-2837. Welcome to Holland Oats, your emergency Holland Oats helpline. To hear when the morning comes, please press 1. To hear you make my dreams, please press 2. To hear every time you go away, please press 3. To hear say it isn't so, please press 4. To hear had I known you better then, please press 5. To hear adult education, please press 6. To hear out of touch, please press 7. How many options did they give? To hear go solo, please press 8. I think that's the last one. So we're going to press number 2. Only because it's the most popular one. (laughs) How can that not make somebody feel good? Yeah, exactly. But it's... 
The number is called Colin Oates. Yes. The Holland Oates hotline, Colin Oates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's obviously not like CD quality. Right. But I mean, what, it's not perfect. What but a hilarious thing. Another good use for it is if you want to act like you're on the phone, you know, you, you want to be doing something else other than talking to someone, you can just call this number and listen to some groovy tunes. Yeah. You know, possibly Adult Education, which is a, a much better song than this one. Is that number four? No, but number four is also good. Say uh, it ain't so. Okay, wow. Say it isn't so. Excuse me. So, again, 719-266-2837. That'll cure what ails you. We love it. And I'm going to hang up on it. That's like a Christmas present to everybody from us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought we were I thought we were uh, away from the Christmas segment. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Well, what happened is I forgot to talk about it. And then because I didn't write it down on the rundown board. Because I'm a stinky turd. This is a more casual episode, and you can tell, because Jesse's blowing it on every level. <laughs> wah, wah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So, some research has been done about battling cancer. And the encouragement that people give those who are suffering from the disease. It was interesting to see this because I see a lot of talk about, you know, so and so is so tough. I know they can beat this and that kind of that kind of talk surrounding sure, sure. people when they find out a loved one gets cancer. And I always thought like it makes me a little nervous because I just feel like it puts an onus on the person that like they're responsible for it when really right. it's out of their control. So this study came out and it will be published in the January issue of the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. It found that patients are less likely to engage in important limiting behaviors like reducing smoking and cutting back on red meat when researchers associated cancer with words like hostile and fight. In fact, the study shows that war metaphors do not make patients any more likely to seek more aggressive treatment quote from the researcher when you frame cancer as an enemy that forces people to think about active engagement and attack behaviors as a way to effectively deal with cancer that dampens how much people think about how much they should limit and restrain themselves right yeah in earlier research investigators found that war metaphors can lead to feelings of guilt and failure in patients who die of cancer even though they have little control over managing it Quote, blame is being put on the patient, and there's almost a sense that if you are dying, you must have given up and not fought hard enough. This is super interesting. And this also led Brittany to remember an interview that Christopher Hitchens did, the late Christopher Hitchens, who died of cancer, esophageal cancer. She remembered an interview he did in his last days, probably the last year of his life, Mm -hmm. with Anderson Cooper. And they talked about Something relative to, well, actually this exact thing, but he also talked about a study, but this also deals with praying for people who have cancer. The most careful study of prayer that was ever made was about three years ago. It was called STEP, Study of the Therapeutic Effects of Intercessionary Prayer. Found that there's no correlation at all between how much people pray for and how well they do, but there's one small negative correlation. Some believers knowing they're being prayed for by their congregation, genuinely, sincerely, when they don't get better, feel worse because hmm. they feel they've let people down. Hmm. 
that won't happen to me or doesn't. But I have a secular equivalent of it. A lot of you will write to me saying, you can beat this thing. You're a tough guy. If anyone can, you can. We pity cancer for taking you on. It's bound to lose. All that. We're very nice to them. And I, some days it's depressing because I think, well, if I check out, I'll be letting down all my comrades. Strange, irrational feeling. I'm so glad that you remembered this. Well, I love that he adds that at the end, too, that he says, I know it's irrational and right. I know it's strange, but I still just have this feeling when right. people tell me, well, you know, you're you have no problem. Cancer, you're going to take this on. You're going to be fine. You're strong. It doesn't know what it has coming. And he's kind of like, well, uh, I all I do is sit passively in a chair while, while they give me chemo. I have no control right. over while what's they, going while on. While they infuse poison into my veins. Right. And I know people want to make people feel better. But, I mean, from what this research is saying, and then even I'm sure there's other cancer patients like Christopher Hitchens sure. at the time who, who feel this way. And the researchers said that instead of making it about a battle, it might be better to replace the word battle with journey. And it's just kind mm. of the journey that you're on. And people with prostate cancer, the method of treating it is a passive method called watchful waiting. I think Dr. Drew, that's what they had prescribed for him when he had the prostate thing going on. And then it it started moving a little, you know what I mean? Right. Because if it's not super serious, they can't really do anything about it. So you right. kind of have to wait until... Well, There's some movements. Certain types of cancer move slower than others and are more invasive. And, right. And they need to, they spread more quickly. So they need to get on the stick with certain kinds and then others they can sit and wait because there's, I don't, obviously I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm proving it here. But there's, you know, there's like an incubation period that takes a while for it to kick in. Right. And the researcher says what would be more beneficial would be changing the sorts of stories about cancer out there to expose aspects of the disease that don't fit with this enemy conceptualization. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, putting more faith in medicine and and research and really looking for a cure. And I mean, there is a way to advocate that people stay strong and really work on, you know, seeking the best treatment and making sure they're doing what they can be doing. But putting the onus on them that like they can win this battle. I don't know. That just makes me like feel bad. I don't know why. Right, it makes because, me feel bad. Because if you don't win the battle, then you lost. If you put it in context of war, you either win or lose. Yeah. So if 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 cancer takes them, then they lost the battle. They failed. Right. And, and that's not and like, especially psychically for their psychology it's that's not good and like christopher hitchens said he you know felt like he would be letting down his comrades yeah. and on your worst days when you're super sick and it's winning quote unquote you not only have to deal with that but then you have to deal with the fact well there's people that think i'm strong enough to win this and i'm not for sure and i just uh that's gut-wrenching to sure. me well Food for thought, and we'll put that study on the on the Facebook page. If you have to sound, if you would like to sound off about that or anything else that we've talked about today, six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. That is the phone number. You can also email. I doubt it at Jesse. Oh, that's not it. I doubt it at Dollamore dot com, and uh, or you could record yourself on your smartphone and also email it to I doubt it at Dollamore dot com. So another segment, um, transition music or, or audio that we need is uh, Truth Wiener. 
Because mm-hmm. we talk enough about the truth wiener. Uh, in very early episodes, we talked about Eric Swanson, who is Kevin Swanson, Kevin Swanson, who is a, I guess, a podcast host, maybe a radio host, and they just transfer it to, to into a podcast. But he is a, a fundy weirdo Christian who who has a problem with gays so much that we equated it to this study where they hooked up a a device to men who were super homophobic to their to their their wieners and showed them gay pornography and the men who were more homophobic they had movement in their member and the men who didn't really have a problem with with gays they their their wiener didn't move except for the heterosexual porn they oh, liked the heterosexual, heterosexual right, porn right, right. but so, then the homophobic homophobic individuals had most movement for the gay porn so I, i've always said that the wiener don't lie and it doesn't it is a truth wiener and mm-hmm. we started a hashtag and it caught on for a little while but we we still talk about it and reference it as the truth wiener so we need a segment transition stinger drop for truth wiener too. get, yeah. get, get on it creative people so in today's Truth Wiener segment, I don't even know how to. <laughs> it's a pastor, of course, from Indiana, whose name is Gaylard Williams. Southern <laughs> Indiana pastor is accused of making sexual advances on a man near a lake. Gaylord Williams made his first court appearance this morning at the Jackson County Superior Court. WLKY's Annalisa Gale spoke to members of the Seymour religious community about the allegations against him. Annalisa? Rick and Vicki, Pastor Gaylord Williams of the Praise Cathedral Church of God is now charged with battery. He was originally charged with sexual battery, but the charge was changed this morning in arraignment court. I guess when you hear of a pastor getting caught of that, you get a little more shocked than I guess somebody else, but we're all sinners, so... Caleb Bunch is startled Uh. by the accusations against his neighbor, 59-year-old Gaylord Williams. Williams is the pastor at the Praise Cathedral Church of God in Seymour. Funky is a youth director at another local church. I think it's a surprise to to all of us, as friendly as he was in the neighborhood. On Friday, a 27-year-old man called police with Williams' license plate number. According to court documents, the victim told police that Williams approached his parked car at Cypress Lake. He says when he rolled down his window, Williams grabbed and squeezed his genitals, then requested oral sex. In a statement to detectives, the victim told Williams he was, quote, barking up the wrong tree. I never seen him do anything wrong like that, but if he did, it's... In a separate statement to detectives, Williams admitted to touching the man, but only on his shoulder. He says he was out there looking for a friend that goes out there to fish and was just walking in the area. When officers asked to search his car, he admitted to having pornography in his vehicle. Funky says if the accusations are true, Williams should resign from his position as pastor. I think we'll probably almost have to for the welfare of of the place. Williams told police that he was taking the porn back to someone else. The victim says he has never seen Williams before the incident that, de- that he detailed to officers. Annalisa Gale, WLKY News. Thank you, Annalisa. Now, Williams is due back in court in February. He was released from the Jackson County Jail on a $355 bond. So it was gay porn. I don't know if they specified that. They didn't. And he denied it was his and claimed he was returning it to the owner. The owner. Yeah. Although. Those aren't my drugs, officer. I I was bringing those to my friend. 
So he was just transporting someone else's gay porn for them. How did they do this news package without mentioning that his name is Gaylard? They did once yeah, in the beginning. Yeah, they say it, but they don't really talk about it. Yeah, they needed to talk about it. Let's talk about it. because It's, it's, impo- it's an important facet of the story that his name has the word gay in it. Well, I'm surprised he's made it 59 years without aggressively grabbing someone's genitals. Well, I'd like to know how that guy wired his genitals on his shoulder. <laughs> that's a weird What but, a, that's a weird birth defect, is it not? This pastor <laughs> is just full of lies too. The wow. gay porn, he grabbed the guy's shoulder. I got, wait, one of my buddies fishes out here and I was just <laughs> walking around. And then I had a hankering for a blowjob. It's also really aggressive and weird to just go up to a stranger. And no, 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 Brittany. It wasn't aggressive because in the news package they said he requested oral sex. Hello, kind sir. Could I, could I get a blowjob this day? Yes, but he grabbed and squeezed someone's genitals. Like, you need to be sure about the sitch before you do that. <laughs> right. You need to be sure this guy is going to oblige that request. He's just taking a shot in the dark. I'm, I'm terrified of this person. It's, it is. It's alarming. It's very weird. It's the whole Larry Craig thing. The the toe tapping in the bathroom stall. Yeah, Senator Larry Craig. From Idaho. From Idaho. Got arrested in a Minion, uh, Minneapolis St. Paul Airport bathroom. Where he was tapping his toe and trying to solicit sex from an undercover cop. And the reason he just didn't happen into this into the situation next to an un- undercover cop it's there was such a problem with gay hookups in this bathroom that this cop just his duty for the day was to go sit in the bathroom stall and wait for someone to try to engage him for sex yeah that's <laughs> it's just so risky yeah it's risky all it's right. not that's not good very very not good and that's what i mean you can't just reach out and grab someone's package i mean relax relax tone it down a bit go rub one out yeah and not in the park somewhere else yeah, go take care of your your go on craigslist dude you have the gay porn now go take it home yeah to the owner which is you just take it home <laughs> with you and use it. Yeah, or get on Craigslist. Listen, there are gay hookup apps just like they're like Tinder. What what's the what's the gay hookup app? Um Grinder. There you go. Go <laughs> download Grinder onto your iPhone and get that shit rolling. <laughs> yes. Ugh. All right. Final topic for our very first Christmas episode. So apparently there has been a study that a 20-minute conversation does indeed have the power to change minds and opinions. The study, published Thursday by the Journal of Science, suggests that a 20-minute conversation about a controversial and personal issue, in the study, the case was a gay person talking to voters about same-sex marriage, that this can induce a change in attitude that not only lasts, but may also help shift the views of others living in the same household. Yes. And so this is interesting to me because we talk about this a lot, because we hear a lot on social media when controversial things are discussed and talked about, that there are typically some people who comment and say, what's the point in talking about this? No one's going to change their mind anyway. I hear it all the time. 
And I always, not only does it bother me, but I obviously I disagree with it. I have lots of friends that I, who I'm connected to on Facebook who believe that, who say, well, I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind. And I don't, I don't believe that's true. And I know people, I know, I know a lot of people who have come to me privately and even said it on the different threads that I'm involved in on Facebook discussion threads that thank you for this because you kind of brought me around. I, I've slowly changed my mind. So whether or not you are affecting the mind of the person you're actively discussing something with, having an open exchange of ideas, different ideas, might be helping someone outside of the conversation who's just witnessing it take place. Well, and I think a lot of times people don't want to admit that it is changing their mind, but it is because I used to be someone who was very staunch like that too when I was, you know, 16 or whatever and dumb. And (laughs) I would hear things that people would say and I would secretly act like I was super against it and it wasn't going to change my mind. But then I would go home and I would quietly be stewing on it. And like, right. well, this actually makes a lot of sense, and maybe I need to come around on this. Well, and- it's, listen, changing one's mind on pivotal political and important issues, social issues even, uh, it's it's a process. It's not something that takes place in the midst of the conversation. Like, oh, all right, you convinced me. Well, especially because humans are so filled with so many biases where yeah. they're mostly focusing on how to defend their stance rather than actively listening to the other side and trying to just be reasonable. A lot of most people, I would say maybe everybody, goes into a defense mode where they're trying to just prove their point Yes. rather than, well, let's just have an open discussion here. Right. This study found evidence that participants' changed views affected the thinking of others in the same household. Surveys of those households showed smaller but significant shifts in the same direction, particularly when the issue was in the news, as in 2013, when a Supreme Court ruling cleared the way for same-sex marriage in California. So not only does the conversation have an impact on the person that you're talking to, but then that person that you're talking to goes home or goes into their circle of friends and discusses it with those individuals. And then it has the potential to have a domino effect and change more people's minds. So, of course, this makes sense. But people are so afraid of discussion because it can feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it gets heated. Sure. And we just shouldn't be afraid of that. Listen, there's an old saying that the the only things that you don't talk about are religion and politics and in mixed company or whatever. And that's complete bullshit because the only things worth talking about are the things that change the world around us. We talk about on this show and it has become a mantra that we want to move the conversation forward. And what better way to move the conversation forward than to have a conversation? It's the only way to do it. You're not going to do it. We're not going to move the conversation forward via osmosis. It's talking about topics that make us uncomfortable. Talking about matters that matter for the world. It's up to us. Right. You can't leave it to someone else. So don't be afraid. Have that conversation on Facebook. Have that conversation at a dinner party. Yeah. There's ways to do it that are respectful. It's okay. 
But be careful who you choose to have conversations with at said dinner party because someone might tell you that you look 36 and give you a slobbery ass kiss on your cheek. <laughs> they might, might also say, okay, we're, we're done with that. What did he say? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what he said now, but it was, it was aggressive. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, my God. We're going to leave it at there. Listen, we love you. This has been... We're almost done. Our next episode will be the final episode for the year. We will be recording on New Year's Eve for a New Year's Day release. So it will be our final episode of our very first year. And we could not be prouder of of what we've created here. And we couldn't be happier or more proud of the audience that not only listens but participates with us in a way that I could have only dreamed of. It's 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 spectacular. I am I am head over heels happy and it I owe it all to not only Brittany here, but also you guys. And I'm not gonna go too gushy here because I guess I'll save it for <laughs> for our final our final episode of the year, which will be it, it'll be episode number 86 will be our our final final episode of the year of the uh, yeah oh my god <laughs> what are you doing of the year of the year cool so that, it that gives me between now and one week from today it gives me time to figure out what the hell we're gonna do <laughs> i'm thinking about doing maybe some best of stuff where i pull some different segments that we've talked about and, you know, we'll see. I might not even do that. We might just do the news. So, again, we love you. We appreciate you. Listen, if you are going to buy something on Amazon, go to dollamore.com up in the top right-hand corner. There's a link to support the show. In that link, there is an Amazon search bar. There's a link to Patreon. We love you guys for your support and your listenership. We think about you and talk about you every single day. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore. And this has been, I doubt it, next year when he opens his flap trap. <laughs>